This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. What is the nature of insight? in this practice. How do we understand it? What do we imagine we see or understand? And what difference does it make? Insight is a word that uh, is also central to psychoanalytic or psychological practices. And I'm always interested in comparing how we see things like insight from different perspectives of different practices. To what extent we're arriving at the same place by a different route or whether we're seeing something very different as a result of the different kinds of practice. There's a core metaphor in both practices around seeing through some version of delusive thinking or misperception. And insight in both practices can have the connotation of uh, removing some kind of uh, filter or eliminating some kind of uh, projection that we're putting onto the world and seeing things clearly or directly. That's often a very problematic notion, the idea of ever seeing reality directly, although we might have the subjective experience of that. It usually is a matter of getting unstuck from one particularly narrow or dysfunctional story we're telling ourselves about ourselves in the world and opening up into a story that's more capacious and accepting. Suppose the one kind of... Um, expression of no story at all is what you uh, have pictured in uh, Bodhidharma encounter with the emperor where he says I don't know to who he is and what the merit of all his practice is don't know that kind of complete wiping of the slate
So in each practice, there's some way in which we imagine we're going to get unstuck from some version of this self-centered dream that preoccupies us. I remember when I was uh, in training as an analyst, uh, this old Freudian professor at the end of this long course uh, said that um, at the completion of an analysis the patient would be finally ready to hear the ultimate interpretation and we all of course pricked up our ears okay what's that going to be (laughs) and he looked at us and he said I am not your father. (laughs) Now I suppose if you're caught up in a tangle of judgment and competition and rivalry and castration anxiety, trying to impress and trying to rebel that interpretation could cut through it all in a flash, right? There's, there's nobody here to fight. Who am I? What am I doing, right? I'm uh, battling a ghost. That was, that I think was his intent. Yeah, when we say any interpretation like that out of context, it comes out sounding very banal. Uh, the same way. It does in Buddhist practice if, if you just go around saying all is one. Right? It's useless. Right? Yet there are moments when suddenly you can stop feeling separate and cut off from everything and be completely part of life. And suddenly you're not, uh, you're not separate in a way that's been plaguing you your whole life. And then you might finally say that in a way that actually means something. The problem most of the time is that the, the very idea of insight gets caught up in a curative fantasy where we imagine one moment is going to completely unlock or turn things around. And it always has a kind of element of uh, here's where we wave the magic wand, you know, or here's where the princess kisses the frog. Uh, And something is supposed to transform completely. And while moments like that occur, they're really not separable from what goes before and what comes afterwards. They're not separable from all the practice that has gone before, all the conditions that set up that moment. And if they're genuine, you can't separate them from how they're going to manifest the next day, and the next day after that, and the day after that. Someone who has a drinking problem can have a very clear insight into the terrible damage 
his drinking is inflicting on his life, his life and the lives of those around him. But we don't think that that insight is real uh, or makes any difference unless every day thereafter there, he stops drinking. That the reality of the insight is not how it feels subjectively in the moment. It's does it translate into a new life, a new form of behavior, a new form of conduct. If you really see it, you're different enough that you behave differently. Joko used to say, sort of half-jokingly, that her criteria for uh, Kencho was whether people paid attention to putting the chairs back, you know, under the table on the patio, uh, or whether they were sloppy and careless about uh, how they handled things. Uh, She didn't care so much about what wonderful thing you said in Dokusan. She wanted to see if you were more careful and meticulous and compassionate afterwards. Now, one way we see that happening in the inside of this practice is when we see, we sit in a way that allows us to have thoughts come and go in a way that they just come and go and they're just thoughts. This is what the idea of labeling is supposed to bring about. It's just, here's one, there's one, here's the next one. And we just watch the flow of thought without getting caught up in the content of it in a way that hooks us. And so part of what we traditionally want to see as a measure of practice is not being particularly preoccupied with what's going on inside in the same way, right? Uh, That's part of what being caught in a self-centered dream is about, is being... um, particularly wrapped up in a kind of inner monologue all the time, where you're just endlessly thinking and arguing and rehearsing and planning and that your world is this world of internal thought, internal representation, that um, takes all, all or most of your attention to the point that you're careless or inconsiderate about things and people around you. So, in that analogy with Choco, the idea is, uh, well, at least he's not thinking all the time and he can actually stop and pay attention to, did he put the, the chair back where it belongs? You have to stop uh, having inner obsession in order to pay attention to what's on the outside. Now, unfortunately... It's the case that one can substitute um, obsessive neatness for obsessive thinking. (laughs) And this does not necessarily represent a great developmental or spiritual milestone. (laughs) It does make for a nicer environment. (laughs) But the people who who just make that substitution are often sort of... uh, look down their nose at people who don't do it and are scolds, you know, and uh, rather than compassionate. Uh, 
So you usually can tell the difference. But the idea really is can um, wake up from this self-centered dream in the sense of just take what goes on inside a little more lightly. Right? Uh, sometimes you hear this expression, you know, you, you're not what you think. Right? Uh, in some ways, you're nothing but what you think. But if that is empty, then you carry it all lightly. Right? You are just this train of fairly ephemeral, fairly inconsequential, fairly repetitive thoughts. Right? Hard to uh, get all puffed up about that kind of realization, right? For Dogen, realization meant seeing that dropping off body and mind was something that happens constantly. That uh, we can have a momentary insight. He called his in China, body and mind dropping away. Um, but what does that mean other than what's happening all the time anyway to us, right? That things are in a constant flow, flux of change. Mind is never still. There's nothing in us that's permanent. There's nothing in our body or world that's permanent. It's always, moment after moment, dropping away. For him, Zazen became the way in which we manifest or bear witness to that moment after moment dropping away. So that Zazen isn't a way of making that happen, it's happening anyhow. Right? It's a way of grounding yourself in that, that reality. And you sit in a way that manifests it in a, in a, instead of sitting in a way that is subtly or not so subtly a means to an end. Um, it's a zazen in which you can no longer ask, uh, am I there yet? Right? Very often we we think of the people who seem to display some kind of clarity or insight. And there are people who, as they say in the precepts, do not spare the Dharma assets. And in that sense it means they're simply willing to wholeheartedly respond or throw themselves into what's next, what needs to be done. They're not tied in knots of ambivalence or uncertainty about do I want to, is it the right thing to do, maybe I can't uh, afford the time or energy for this right now. People tie themselves in knots in their self-centered dream. That's sort of part of the the sadness of it. It's... um, you're going to create a dream, you ought to at least create one you like, you know. Uh, but most of the time we don't, right? Uh, I, I've said the one version of progress and practice is going from that kind of 
painful self-centered dream to just row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, merrily, merrily. You know, life is but a dream. It says the same thing. Life is a dream. But is it a free-flowing dream that you enjoy or is it a tied-in-knots self-centered dream of constant judgment and self-recrimination and complication, right? So much of this practice is just showing up. And like practice as realization, we sort of think of it as practice as showing up, right? The quality of your zazen is how much you're simply willing to show up for your zazen, how much you're willing to just make a, a beeline for it, right? Not let yourself be completely buffeted about, uh, but, oh, I see what this is. I see what it does in my life. I see how important it is. I see it's who I am. Therefore, I'm just going to do it as much as I can. And in lay practice, that doesn't mean coming to every sitting morning and night, six days a week. It means really trying to be clear about how to stay grounded in this practice, right? But not be caught up in uh, endlessly, well, should or I shouldn't I? Do I want to today or shouldn't I feel like it, right? That kind of stuff. It's really that kind of simple, straightforward commitment that showing up and being present that is the sign of uh, real insight, real depth of practice, not just um, one big moment one day on the cushion. <laughs>